Welcome to Genesis. I'm so glad you're here. Today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. It's when Jesus, we remember him coming into the city of Jerusalem in that triumphant entry as it's known. But we're still going to be in Genesis. And so you can turn to Genesis chapter 22. And as Palm Sunday was to acknowledge that the Messiah has come. The Messiah was spoken about a long time before that Palm Sunday. And actually, this passage in Genesis chapter 22 is one of the most powerful passages that declares that event and it coming. But it's also one of the most well-known and I think troubling stories, at least I find it troubling. I kind of hope you do too. Um, and we'll read it and go over it together because... When you read something that troubles you in Scripture, here's a little help in your understanding how to study. If there is something that you read that troubles you, it probably was meant to. It probably was there to cause you some concern or or just to be disconcerting in some way. And it's meant to engage you. And so instead of just saying, oh man, that's weird, I'm just not going to go there, it's meant for you to pry a little deeper. It is those troubling events in our lives that usually have the most impact on our lives, those situations that are tremendously, you know, filled with tension are the ones that usually transform us through that time of tension. And so whenever you read something and you're like, oh man, that's just strange, it's probably there to cause just that reaction. Just to let you know. So if it's there to cause a reaction, it's also there to pull you in a little deeper. And so let's read today's passage and see what's troubling and see what it's calling us into understand. Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1, it said, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. That's the troubling part, okay? Anyone troubled? I hope so. Okay. No, that's good. Everything's cool. It's been a few times I wanted to sacrifice my son. So yeah, this is good. Okay. That's not the situation. Okay. This is meant to trouble you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. I wonder who was carrying the harder burden right here. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God will himself, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. 
When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of all the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. So a troubling story. And Moses, the storyteller, is not trying to just give us an informational dialogue. He's not just giving a theological discourse. He's telling a story. He's telling a story to try and draw us in. Jesus did the same thing with parables. Something about a story engages us to try and step in and understand. And so remember, Moses is talking at this time. They have just come out of Egypt. They've been delivered. And he's telling the story of how God has established the the Jewish people the sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob. And as he's telling this story, he comes to this place of Abraham where Abraham has this encounter with God and what this encounter looks like. And they're listening and everything that they're hearing is familiar to them. As Moses is telling the story, they're saying, okay, yeah, this this all makes sense. And the reason he's telling a story is to keep interest, to keep them alert, to engage them. I remember one time I had been at the beach all day and then it was a Sunday evening, went down to a gathering to have a church service and there was someone who was speaking who I really liked. And as we went there, I was just so tired. You know how you are after you've been at the beach all day, the sun's been beating on you, you've been you know, body surfing and then you go in and you sit down and your whole body goes, relax. Oh man, this feels good. And you start kind of falling asleep, kind of like some of you might be doing right now. And, and I was just kind of nodding and I was like, oh man, I'm just having a heart. And I was fighting it. I was like, stay awake, guys. You know, and you're like all your force and your body is using it to stay awake. And I just was struggling. And all of a sudden, the speaker just started telling a story. And as he started telling a story, I found that I had this resumed energy. All of a sudden, I was engaged. All of a sudden, I was like, what's going to happen? Where's the story going? And that's what Moses is doing here. And, And so let's think about where the people are when Moses is telling this story. The gods that they worship, the goddesses that they worship. 
religion as they know it. They lived in a society where they were dependent on the environment for survival. They needed the right amount of rain to water the ground. Too much, it floods, washes everything away. Not enough, it dries up and nothing grows. Too much sun, it wilts the plants. The plants die, the animals don't have grass to graze, the animals die, you can't survive. You see, we, we've lost touch with that. When we get hungry, we drive to In-N-Out. Or if you're healthy, you go to Sprouts. There you go, Sprouts. I was not paid for this message by any... And so, we, we've detached ourselves from dependency on the environment around us. But they depended on it. And what do you do? I mean, you get a disease. What, what do you do? The, the earth doesn't produce the food that you need. What do you do? And so there was this belief that something else, someone else was responsible for the environment. There were unseen forces that they called the gods that you needed to depend on because they're the ones who provided the right amount of sun, rain, and all that was necessary so that you could continue to survive. Your life, the life of your family was dependent on them. And so what they would do is when they would get enough of their crops, well, we need to thank the gods. And so they would offer a portion of their crops to the gods. And if it wasn't raining, well, we need to offer something so that the gods will be happy with us and give us rain. And so they would offer some crops or maybe they'd offer an animal or a couple of animals and they would try and do things to know, did we make the god happy? And if it rained, I guess we made the god happy. But how do you know? Well, let's keep him happy. He, he likes it now, so let's keep offering. And there was this constant anxiety because how do you know if God is happy with you? Well, we just got to offer it to him. And the same thing, I mean, we might know like the Indian rain dance. Well, we got to dance to make God happy to give us rain. Well, how long do you have to dance until God's happy enough to give you rain? And you see, in their minds, it always worked. Rain dances always work. Sometimes they work in a day. Sometimes it takes four days. Sometimes it takes three weeks. Sometimes it takes two months, three days, four hours. But it always works in their mind, right? Because eventually it's going to rain. And so, oh, God's happy with us now. Now we're going to survive. And when things would get difficult, you would just offer more. Okay, it's been barren and dry there's been a drought for a whole month now get the the bigger offering get the cow okay no more no more birds god wants beef okay which makes sense and so the bigger the offering the more it means to you then you think you can appease this god and your whole life is dependent and focused on this mindset And you ever wonder why it doesn't seem like a big deal? God says, go offer your son, and Abraham gets up. In fact, the next morning, he just gets up, doesn't say anything, and goes. How could he do something like that? How how could, what kind of God, and here's a question I want to ask that's going to kind of carry us through this. What kind of God would ask you to sacrifice your own son? 
And at that time, it wasn't uncommon because a child was the greatest sacrifice you could offer. And so when you were desperate, or if you had enough power as a people or a nation, you could set up child sacrifices, which many of them did, to try and appease the gods to provide what you needed because you lived in this constant anxiety. Are we going to get enough water? Are we going to get enough sun? Is is things going to be okay? Is my wife going to be able to get pregnant? I mean, I kind of know how that's supposed to happen, but it ain't happening. So what else am I supposed to do? I don't know. They didn't have fertility doctors. They didn't have the science that we had. They didn't have the theological understanding that we do. And so they would just sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Well, we really need this, so sacrifice more. And so this is the environment that they're living in. And as we see this, it draws us into the story because that's how they were thinking. And and the same thing happens today. People have the same mentality about God today. Many of them. Well, you know, you have cancer. Well, you need to pray more. You need to do more because you've got to just appease God so that he'll relent and give in. That's a mindset that is common in religion. And so, verse 3, Moses gets up early in the morning. And it says in verse 1, actually, sometime later. And this is referring to after Isaac was born. Now, remember, Isaac is a miracle baby, right? Sarah was in her, she was past her age of being able to produce. She was old. And so after this time, After this miracle that God has provided, something happens and God calls out to him. And then it says he tells him to go to this region to sacrifice him there. And early the next morning, he gets up. He he doesn't even have a question. He just gets up and does this. Now, what happened to the Abraham who would haggle with God over, you know, well, God, wait, if there are 50 righteous, are you going to destroy the the righteous with the unjust? Well, okay, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? Don't get mad. What if there's 20? What happened to that guy? Wouldn't you step in now? You know, go offer your son. Wait a second, God. What if I just give you a, a bird instead? Can I do? There's silence. I mean, he was distressed when Sarah sent Hagar, the maidservant, out. And it says that he was distressed. There's an eerily, just an eerie science. Silence. Get those right. Eerie silence. Eerily science. I don't know what that means. It's, there is an eerie silence that's taking place in Abraham. And, and I think we understand that kind of experience. Have you ever been just so inundated with a situation and a trauma that you just really don't want to talk? You know, there's times where I'll be talking to people, but then if an event happens, I remember one time I was talking to a mom and they just found out I had to kind of relay the information that her 15-year-old daughter was now pregnant. And this mom wasn't a person who I knew well at all. And so, you know, get to be that person. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, By the way, 
And so as I start discussing, the mom freaks out, the daughter freaks out, and it was just a mess. There's screaming, there's crying, there's cussing, and I'm there, and I'm trying to you know, move them forward in a healthy direction. And I remember leaving that room and just being fried. My brain was just hurting. And then I go back, and someone goes, hey, I got a question for you. You know, in the Bible it says, and I just like, shut up. I don't want to hear your question right now. I didn't say that, but I felt that. I just didn't want to talk. I I was just disturbed with all that had happened. And so I was just like, yeah, you know, I'll get back to you later. I just can't process this now in words. I'm just trying to deal with what's going on inside of me. And so Abraham has this silence. We don't hear from him. And he gets up and he starts moving on into this place. He just gets up and he goes. And as he heads there, it's interesting because what starts to take place is that we see in his words to the others in verse 5 that he kind of tips his hat. He he tells us a little bit about what's going to happen. In verse 5, he says to the servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. It's interesting, too, that he looks up, and it's about a three-day journey. Three days. Keep that in your mind. Isaac, a miracle baby, keep that in your mind. But then also keep in your mind that, as he says, we will go worship, and then we will come back to you. He's including Isaac in coming back with him, even though he's going up to sacrifice him. Now, remember, in our talking of this, God has promised Abraham that through Isaac already that the nations would be blessed. God had promised Isaac to him and to Sarah. Isaac's name means laughter because when God showed up to Abraham and he says, you're going to have a child, Sarah said, oh yeah, right. She laughed. And God said, why'd you laugh? She goes, I didn't laugh. He goes, yeah, you laughed. And so they named his son Laughter, remembering what God had said to them. And so here is the promise that God had given to them, the miracle. And now God is saying, go and sacrifice him. And in Abraham's mind, God is still going to fulfill his promise. In fact, we get a little insight into that in Hebrews eleven nineteen. It says, Abraham reasoned that God even could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He gives us a peek into what's taking place in Abraham's mind. We're going to go worship. There's going to be a sacrifice but God has promised my son. And so we'll come back. I don't know how, but God can even do that. And so now the story starts to get a little bit clearer in our perspective. But remember, those people hearing this, they'd probably just hear that and not pay much attention. They're going to go worship and then they're going to come back. And so as they're going to come back, Abraham takes the wood and everything that's there and three times Abraham says, here I am. He says it once to God in the beginning and when his son asks him, he says, where is the sacrifice? He says, father. And he says, what is it, son? It's actually the same words, here I am. And every time he says, here I am, there's an unfolding of events. 
Abraham, here I am. I want you to sacrifice your son. Oh my gosh. Father, here I am. Where is the sacrifice? God will provide himself the sacrifice. And, and as he says that, God will provide himself. What he's saying is, God will see. Literally, the phrase is he will raise his eyes, just like Abraham raised his eyes and saw where the place was going to be of sacrifice. He, he's saying that God sees and will take care of it. God, Father, where's, gonna, where's the sacrifice? God sees and he'll take care of it. And so again, we're getting a little insight into how Abraham thinks. God knows. God's going to take care of it. And so they go on. It's also important to know that Isaac is not just a little kid. He's a grown man at this point. Possibly in his 30s. And so this all starts to sound a little strange, but a little familiar. And so he tells them that God is going to provide the sacrifice. And he goes on and he goes back to the question, verse 11. Let's read that. Let's start verse 9. They reached the place that God had told him about. Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, twice, meaning I need your attention. He says, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. And so the question that we had asked Back at the beginning, what kind of God would ask a man to sacrifice his son? And the answer is, not this one. Not this one. You see, in their minds, at this point, God tells him, don't sacrifice him. I don't want you to sacrifice your son. Everyone would go, what? God doesn't want the sacrifice? And that God provides the ram himself for the sacrifice. God is not requiring of Abraham something to sacrifice, but God is actually giving Abraham something. You see, this is the point of the story, that this God is not like the other gods. This God will not require you to sacrifice your son. In fact, this God is going to himself step in. And we've been seeing this throughout the Genesis story. Remember the covenant that God made with Abraham. Only God walked through that covenant. A covenant is supposed to be between two people. But God says, I will take both responsibility for you and for me. So what kind of God would ask someone to sacrifice their son? Not this one. And this is coming to the place where he's making the point, I'm not going to require this from you. And at this point, again, everyone would be gasping. They'd be thinking, what? He's not? He's not going to require him to make the sacrifice? And he says in verse 13, Abraham looked up, saw the thicket. He saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a birth offering. And so Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide, and on that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And that mountain region is the same mountain region where years later, Christ would go to the cross. And now we start to see some strange and 
and eerie similarities. Isaac, miraculous birth, Christ, born of a virgin, miraculous. Abraham, take your son, your only son. Behold my son in whom I'm well pleased. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There are some specifics. And John 3.16 is meant to remind the Jewish reader of this event, the only begotten son. Three days journey. He would receive his son back. For his son in his mind was dead for three days and then would come back to life. And on that mountain, God would provide the sacrifice. And you see, this is turning the story the other way around. And it's meant to disturb us because it's meant to pull us in and to see what God is trying to reveal, not only to us, but to the people at that time who were used to this kind of thing. And now God steps in and says, no, I will provide. I will take care of the sacrifice. You mean God doesn't need us to sacrifice, to please him? That God goes on and he makes a deal with Abraham? Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham for heaven a second time, And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants numerous. Verse 18, he says, and through your offsprings, all the earth will be blessed. God turns the tables and says, it's not what you're going to give me. It's what I'm going to give you because you believe in me. But he's also telling them this. I am not the God of like these other gods. I am not going to require you to sacrifice your son. What I want is your devotion, and then I will bless you. And I'm going to bless you to bless the world. I'm not just blessing you. I'm blessing the world because of you. And so first thing that we understand is this God appears to be like all the other gods. He seems to want to sacrifice like all the others. The story starts off very familiar, but then there's the shocking conclusion. It takes a a turn that comes out of nowhere, again, in these people's minds, where God disrupts the familiarity of their story, interrupts the sacrifice. And again, you can picture everyone going, what? (gasps) He didn't kill him? You know, don't you picture all the kids by the fire hearing this story, their eyes all wide like circles. <gasps> Is he going to kill him? He doesn't. The plot twists. It's one of those moments, like Inception, when he opens the safe. <gasps> it's the little spinning wheel, right? Did you guys stay awake to that part? All of a sudden it twists. That's not what I was expecting. It takes a turn. This God stopped the sacrifice? Gods don't do that. This God does. Second, the God in this story provides. Worship and sacrifice was about you giving to the gods. This story is about God giving to Abraham. A God who gives? That's not what happens. We have to give our crops. We have to offer our animals. We have to beg that God would give to us. And here is a God who is seen leaning down and giving providing, not requiring. 
Third, we see this isn't a story about what Abraham does for God, but it's actually a story about what God does for Abraham. It's just being told in a way that's very impactful. But that is at the heart of this story. God is the one who actually provides. God is the one who takes care of the sacrifice. And that's the heart of this story. And fourth, Abraham is told that God is just getting started and that this God is going to bless Abraham with such love and favor that through Abraham, everybody on earth is going to be blessed. This God isn't angry or demanding or unleashing wrath. This God has intentions to bless everybody. Again, totally foreign to that frame of mind. This, this is revolutionary. Abraham is invited to trust, to have faith, to believe and to live in these promises. And can you see how this is a game-changing story? How the people would tell this story and it would be a surprise to everyone who heard it because this isn't the typical story. This is different. I hate movies when you go to the movie in the first 10 minutes you know what's going to happen. Which is most Christian movies, by the way. I saw a preview of a movie and I said, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen. This teacher, something happened to his kid or his wife and he's blaming God. And I haven't seen the movie, but I know that's going to happen. It's just, yeah, and so it's kind of like, oh, I already know the story. I already know how it's going to end. I hate that. I like movies that make me guess. Okay, what's going Huh, that's a twist. What's going to happen there? And so this is one of those stories where, no, this isn't your normal story. It takes a twist and it changes the ideas that they have. And can you see why people told the story? and Why it endured? And think of any other stories about a son who was born miraculously, was good as dead, but in three days was received back and through him all the nations would be blessed. Is there anyone else comes to mind? I got nothing. Next week we celebrate Easter. We celebrate the Good Friday and then the Easter service because this is a picture of Christ. And what's, I think, important in this story to recognize is that God blessed Abraham to bless others. When I hear people talking about how God has done so much for them and what God is doing for them and I don't see it passing on to others, I wonder if anything actually took place with them. Because any time we become just about ourselves, we stop short of the God who blesses so that the blessings can continue. The God who gives so that giving can continue. And so we are a people of promise like Abraham and we see this picture of the God who who steps down who stops the norm of religion, who interrupts how worship is done and reveals who he really is in the process. He is the God who provides. He is the God who will take care of. He's the God who sees, understands, and will meet the need. He sees what? He sees us. He sees our condition. He sees our brokenness. One of the things that strike me most about the gospel, this message of Jesus Christ, is it recognizes our condition. 
It recognizes that we all know what's right, but we all fail to do it. We all know the right thing, but we all still make the wrong choices. We all have this defective thing within us that is self-destructive that takes us to a place where we know we shouldn't go and it deals with it and it deals with it clearly because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, our Lord. God again steps in and provides what is necessary for our brokenness, what is necessary for the areas where we are deficient. Just like he did with Abraham, he has done with us through Jesus. And that makes so much sense to me. Because I need a savior. I need one. I'm I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not righteous enough. I recognize who I really am. And in that condition, God shows up. And there, look, see, there's a ram caught in the thicket. This mountain, the Lord will provide, and he has. He has through Jesus. And so now we get to enjoy the blessing that God has given. The promise is ours. This is our God who doesn't require us to sacrifice, but he himself has made the sacrifice. This is 180 from what every religion at that time was and what every religion at this time still is. Think about it. Think about every religion. If you pray enough, if you fast enough, if you abstain enough, then you will receive a higher conscience or a blessing from God. If if you will do enough, then maybe, just maybe God will hear you. Maybe, just maybe you'll be appeased, but you can never do enough. And you're always left with this anxiety. How much is enough to please God? What do I have to do to please a God who who I don't fully understand? How do I even deal with that? This is some kind of cruel joke. And then there's Jesus. There's God who steps in and says, stop. I'll take care of it. I'll provide the sacrifice. All I want from you is is your love and devotion. And I'll take care of the rest. Oh my gosh. That's good news. That makes us... You mean I don't have to worry if I do enough. I don't have to worry if I fasted enough because man, I have a hard time fasting. Comes 11 o'clock and I want an ice cream. And then I get a text from my friend saying, hey, you want to get ice cream? I'm like, no, I'm fasting. Come on, just a little ice cream. Okay. Um, I don't have to do enough because he has done enough because it is finished because the price has been paid because he's the one who took care 
of the sacrifice. And this story is projecting forward what was going to happen on the cross. This is the triumph of God, is that he has changed the story from one where you give, you sacrifice if you can do enough, to the one where God gives, God provides, God blesses. And then through that blessing, we are to bless others. So if you've been blessed, if you have received the sacrifice, now you are in the position to give. Just like God has been generous to you, you are to be generous to others and to give. And that shows the promise of God is continuing. And it's to continue through us. Let's pray. Father, I can remember the times that I have struggled with my insufficiency and the condemnation and the guilt and the struggle that I just am not good enough and how I would compare myself to others and always find myself deficient, how I, I would feel so out of sorts. I, I, I'm not as smart. I'm, I'm not as equipped and good looking and s- smart enough to figure these things out. I'm not as talented. I'm not as strong. I, I'm not as healthy. I'm not as sane. I, I don't have what it takes to live the life that I know I should live and Lord I know what it's like to be beat up by that time and time again but God I'm thankful that right there in this insufficiency that I live in in this inability that is a part of my character you show up and you say I'll provide I'll take care of what you're deficient in. I will deal with your waywardness. I I will address your sin. I will pay the cost that you can never pay. I, I will deal with it for you. And you give me the opportunity to be enough. You you give me the understanding that you are okay with me because you're okay with Jesus. And I will stand in Jesus where it is okay. I I will stand in the sacrifice that you gave because there I am enough. Because there I don't have to worry about my inabilities. I rest in your abilities. And Lord, now the promises that were given to Abraham even here in this passage we read, are now mine. And I get to walk in these promises and I get to live with a God who has provided for me. I get to enjoy the relationship with a God who doesn't need to be appeased, but who has paid the price himself. 
who has provided himself, who sees and knows the need and is taking care of it. I, I get to have and enjoy this relationship. And Lord, you've given us this ability to enjoy this relationship so that we can in turn give it to others, that others would be blessed, even as the world has been blessed through the promise you gave to Abraham, the world is to be blessed through the promises that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that we would walk in those promises. This morning, I want to ask and give an opportunity because it is important that like Abraham, we give God our devotion. It's important that we trust God that he will take care of the sacrifice that we, he will himself provide that sacrifice and if you're here this morning and and you are in a place where you have yet to trust god to provide for you 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 have yet to recognize that jesus is the provision for you i, I want to give you that opportunity i want to give you the opportunity that god gave abraham when he says abraham he says here i am he says sacrifice your son Maybe what God is doing is asking us to sacrifice our lives that are living separate from Him and to live a life that is enjoined with the God who loves and cares. And so I want to provide an opportunity this morning if you would like to step into that relationship with the God who cares. Would you raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. God bless you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Father, you see the hand and you know the hearts. Lord, those who are wanting to step into this relationship, into this knowledge of you, into this relationship with you that we see where you provide for us. And God, I pray we would take that step and trust in you, that we would allow you to be the God who provides. We thank you for that provision in Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.